Sunday night. Uh... Hey, the music actually worked for once. Okay, so <laughs> Sunday night. Uh, we've got a brand new show airing for the first time ever. Uh, it's Josing for Jessica, uh, the show that discusses Marvel's Jessica Jones, which debuted on Netflix this past Friday. Uh, for each show, we're going to have a cool round ta- table with uh, different guests uh, discussing the uh, episode by episode, and hopefully we'll dive in and really discuss a lot of the themes and uh, various things going on uh, from the show. So for those who don't know uh, Jessica Jones, it's the newest comic character to be adapted from Marvel's comics, debuted on Netflix, and after a tragic uh, ending to her short-lived superhero stint, Jessica is rebuilding her personal life and career as a private detective in Hell's Kitchen. It's time the world knew her name. And in the first episode uh, of the show, Jones is hired to find a pretty NYU student who's vanished, but it turns out to be more than a simple missing person's case. And Alana, I used pretty for a very good reason, because I know you uh, had some issues with that. So I made sure to emphasize that one. Uh, joining me is Jack <laughs> Policy uh, Radio co-host Alana, and then we'll get to our guests right after that. Hi, Alana. How you doing? I'm great. I'm great. Um, I just want to thank uh, you know folks for joining us for the new podcast. I think it's going to stand alone for so if you guys have friends who uh, are not comics readers per se, but who love the show, definitely reach out to them and, and, and let them know that we're doing this podcast. We want it to be accessible to comics readers and non-comics readers alike. Uh, and coming into this, I just want to say my own status with regards to this show is that uh, I've read Alias, but it was a long time ago. Um, I'm not an expert on the character, but I'm certainly familiar with her. And I am try- I have limited myself to only watching the first episode. So I'm speaking to- about this as someone who has only seen episode one. So uh, that- that's where I'm coming at it on the show right now. All right. Uh, I was uh, a little bit of sadistic and watched all episodes in as much of the one city as possible. So... Uh, yeah. And you blogged about each one of them. You have a review about each episode up on Graphic Policy right now. <laughs> and sooner or later, I got broken and it turned into notes, so I remember what the hell to talk about for each episode. Uh, so let's get to our guests so we can dive into the uh, conversation. Uh, Sarah Jaffe is a reporting fellow at the Nation Institute and a giant nerd who once upon a time wrote about comics more than she wrote about politics, believe it or not. Uh, she's got a lot of feelings about superhero movies and their politics. So it's going to be awesome. Um for this podcast. Uh, she's working on her first book, which is about social movements since the financial crisis and to be released next August from Nation Books. Uh, Stephen Adwell is a political union activist and a regular guest on our various radio shows. Uh, he's got a PhD in policy history from the University of California, Santa Barbara, and teaches public policy at Cooney's uh, Mar- Murphy Institute for Labor Studies. His essays have appeared in Esquire, Salon, and two books on the subject of Game of Thrones. He hosts a podcast and the founder and writer of Race for the Iron Throne. Thank you for joining us, uh, Steve and Sarah. How are you both doing? All right. I'm good. How are you? Uh, I'm a little disturbed Great. after watching all 13 episodes, but let's go. <laughs> let's get into this. <laughs> So breath's a little broken, oh. but it'll be okay. Yep, yep. <laughs> I might start drinking, and I'm definitely rocking back and forth in the corner. Uh, gotcha. <laughs> so for, oh, for both to, of you, to answer, sorry, I was going to answer Alana's question. Yes, mm-hmm. that's what I was about to ask. <laughs> okay, <laughs> sorry. Um, so I knew about Alias because, you know, I'd read other uh, Brian Michael Bendis 
uh, comics, but I had never read it, or at least not a lot of it, uh, up until uh, this week where I decided to read the whole series and uh, take notes on all of it because I've got issues. (laughs) Very thrown out. (laughs) Okay. Um, Well, I have never read a comic with Jessica Jones in it, to my knowledge, so there we go. Um, Unless... I don't, I don't, yeah, I, I don't think so. I think I'm a Jessica Jones virgin. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, like, have you never even read her in maybe like an Avengers comic? I don't think so. Okay. Yeah, because she, okay. So yeah, we have, we have a range of, co- so we're four comics geeks with a range of levels of familiarity with the text at hand, as it were. I did that deliberately. Um, two of us being women who have lived in New York City, uh, one at present yes. and one who did until very recently. So, yes. and, and, and Stephen lives in New York, but is a dude. So <laughs> we have various connections to the setting and place of the show. Um, and I, I really like the comics a lot, uh, but I, I'm not someone who, and I know a lot of, I know a lot of people who like read these comics and or obsessed with them and like they really spoke to them in a deeper, profound way. I really appreciated the comics as being radically important um, and as being ridiculously high-quality work. But I wasn't someone who, like, read them and was like, oh, my God, this is my new favorite thing, you know? Certainly their place as being one of the first times that Marvel had introduced a new female hero, whole cloth, you know, this was one of the first, uh, like, rated R Marvel comics ever, um, and certainly one of the most, like, well-rounded, fully realized female characters that Marvel ever constructed. And that, that's what the series is, you know, taking on. And it's a pretty pretty high bar. Yeah. For those, for those who don't know, there was a point when Marvel kind of had their adult line of comics uh, called Marvel Max. They sometimes still do it, but it hasn't been really used a whole lot. And um, the series with Jessica Jones that uh, came out was called Alias back then, which was hilarious because there was the Alias TV show at the same time. So one was very not rated R, and the other one was very rated R. Uh, so... <laughs> Every so often you might hear us say alias, and that's what we're kind of referring to. And if you want to check out the comics, there's some trades out that uh, will catch you up. Um, mm-hmm. So I guess the, the really the first question, just for everyone, like, would you, big picture, what do you think of the first episode? We'll go, we'll go Steve. Everybody first. answer at once. Yeah, we'll start with Steve <laughs> and then we'll go around. <laughs> Um, oh, starting with me. Um, yeah. I really liked it. Um, I mean, there's a lot of different things to talk about, but, you know, I think they nailed the kind of modern noir thing right off the bat. Um, they were sort of, you know, I had a whole bunch of questions coming into this about sort of how are they going to do the whole extended universe thing? How are they going to handle the superpowers? Um, how are they going to sort of you know, visually represent, um, you know, the the Purple Man because you know I I tried to stay away from most of the trailers and whatnot, uh, and I was really impressed, especially and I think you know this is what a lot of people were talking about with the first episode. The last four minutes were really quite shockingly powerful. Mhm. Yeah. We'll go with Sarah, Sarah next. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's, it's the question of like you don't with four people on a podcast you don't want to all just start talking over <laughs> each other. Um, 
Yeah, so I should say, like, because this does tie in somewhere with the, the Daredevil Netflix show that I had given up on halfway through the season because I found it basically boring. Um, I was not remotely interested in these characters. And I made a joke to my partner while we were binge watching about six episodes of this one last night that um, maybe I'm just less bored by a, you know, dark, brooding, quasi-superhero when it's a woman. Or, um, yeah, I, I it's hard to tell entirely. Also, um, Peter was also less bored by this one than by Daredevil, so that's something. Um. Yeah, I don't. I wouldn't say it was great television, but I was compelled enough to watch six episodes in one sitting. So we'll start. We'll leave that there for now. <laughs> um, I mean, for me, like, I I I enjoyed Daredevil, uh, and almost in spite of myself, because it's so easy for me to also just joke about the ridiculous levels of man pain on Daredevil. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. I mean, I, I, I'm like, but I liked it a lot. Um, uh, Jessica Jones, I'm, I, you know, I, I've only seen one episode, as I said, but I really like it. Um, I, there are things that are potentially problematic about it that I still hold on to as being things that I have not been reassured about based on this, and I think could still end up being really big problems. But certainly, when it comes to the quality of the TV show, it's the quality of the acting, the quality of the writing, the quality of the cinematography. Um, and just the joy of the fact that this is a female protagonist and that, like, every scene is driven by, you know, her situations and stories and that it's not, like, you know, that this is a female protagonist-led story, like, that in the Marvel Universe and she has powers. That's just fantastic and great to have. But the outstanding concerns I have are still very much there after having watched this first episode. I, uh, I'm not thrilled with the fact that the story is all looks like it's about her situation with 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 Kilgrave, um, which means that we're when we first meet this character Jessica Jones, like we're getting to know her in terms of this trauma that was inflicted on her, and that the story is all sort of very centered around what this man you know who's essentially because he he controls you like he is a rapist basically, and that this is just about what he did to her and how she's responding to it. And it's the kind of thing where I can tell that this show is going to, I can't say I can tell. I'm pretty sure the show is going to nail it when it comes to showing, like, how fucked up that is and that it's going to do an excellent job of communicating about these really complicated things that are real crises and problems in people's lives. But I'm just disappointed that, like, the show that we have that's a contemporary, you know, like, female superhero show has to be one where it's, like, about this character and how she was raped. Um, it's the kind of thing where if we had more shows with female leads, I wouldn't be saying here like lamenting that because there would be like, yeah, but there's these five other shows where that's not the case. So, so while trying to not go any further than the first episode, <laughs> I, I share uh-huh. your concerns with the sort of, uh, what the grand unifying theory of female pain or whatever. Like I'm, I'm mm. so tired of everything, have, every women's motivations having to be, past trauma, right? Yeah. But I'm intrigued by how she deals with it because she deals with it in very, in ways that if they are gendered, they are usually gendered masculine, right? She Mm -hmm. punches things and has, you know, random promiscuous sex and drinks too much and generally is a jerk. 
And that is not usually something that a female protagonist does because then she will get <clears throat> she will get called unlikable. And no doubt there are about a million reviews of this show out there right now calling her unlikable. So, like, I'm just going to preempt that because it's such a garbage argument. But, uh-huh. yeah, so I, I, am, I am on the fence with that whole issue there. But, um, but so far I, I find her interesting despite yeah. the sort of ease of slipping into the, like, yet another traumatized female character. Um, because and like, co-signed to all being that, a woman yeah. living in the world, a lot of us are traumatized. That's, well, my, that's my, also that's very well said. Yeah, very yeah. Well said. And I would also, you know, just I would also just say that, like, for all of the the fact that, like, you know, I'm it's very like tiring to have that be the main part of the story. Like, it is also like great to see a show with a, a woman showrunner that's going that is going to at least do a damn good job of that. Mm-hmm. And like handle it responsibly. Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, I was uh, jumping off Brett? of that, I, I was just going to say, oh, one sorry, of the things Brett, that I... I to get... No, 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 Steve can go. go ahead. No, no, Steve, go right ahead. Okay, I, I was just going to say, uh, you know, one of the things that, that Sarah brought up that I thought was really good is they're, like, her negative behavior is like the classic noir detective. Like, she drinks too much, right. she sleeps with the wrong people, she's, like, you know, surly and abrasive and, like, you know uses old friendships until they wear out. That That is exactly what, you know, the Sam Spades of, you know, of yore did. And they just kind of run with it and don't kind of, I don't know, it feels very natural. I like it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that was the, the thing going into it. And one of the questions I had was how are they going to do the noir aspect of it? Like, it will, you know, is it a superhero f- uh, show or is it a detective show or is it a mix of those two? And the first episode is very noir detective. Um, yeah. You know, there's even that, like, scene of right. her in the cab driving with the music playing that's, like, a slightly bluesy, uh, as, like, the city reflection is very, we've seen uh-huh. that shot a million uh-huh. times. Um, yeah, I love the music on the show so much. I yeah. like. I feel like half of my notes about the show were like, "Oh my god, I love the music on the show so much." <laughs> the music and how it begins is this jazz, this very jazz song, and then it starts to get darker and more menacing, and the guitars come in, and then it gets really dark. And as as the theme music gets dark in the beginning of the show, everything you're looking at just takes on a more and more sinister light. And it's not mm-hmm. that the opening credits were sunshine and, and blueberries, like, from the start. They they already were almost like an Alex Molly, you know, his art on Daredevil-looking kind of a appearance. But they just get more menacing as the music gets more menacing. Even if you see, like, it's a couple holding hands down the street with this menacing music, you're like, and he might be about to kill her. Uh. Yeah. So, or they're yeah, probably they having an affair. They're probably having, and then they are, right? Like, well, not them, but the, right, yeah. the actual couple you see. It's not, not everybody, credits. basically. Um, but, yeah, the credits are so good, and the music <laughs> is so good, and they set the mood. And her opening voiceover, yeah. Kristen Ritter's opening voiceover, one, really love her voice. Wow. And, yeah. two, she does a great job of it. And I'm curious, I mean, don't answer this, but I am curious if they revisit her voiceover as a plot device in the, in, in the beginning of other episodes, because it was an interesting choice here. That seemed you know, very much grounded in noir and what they would do if it was a yeah, noir Yeah, very movie. much. Uh, but they don't use yeah. it later in the show, really. They just, you know. They the do episode, a voiceover. They do do a lot of voiceover. Um, it, it does keep they that. They do? Okay, cool. 
Um, it's yeah. not like it's interesting, and we'll talk as the series goes on. I I think the series morphs at some point, um, more towards the superhero aspect of it, and loses and and has issues with whether or not it's a superhero series or detective series. Um, but yeah. they they do do a lot of voiceover in a lot of the episodes, so they they keep that, which is interesting. Um, yeah, because it's to me it actually I think with with fascinating on that and and I thought about it more watched the sh- the show and even the second time is that's very much a comic thing right like you don't really see that mm. in television a whole lot where there's a lot of voiceover mm-hmm. and internal dialogue but in comics oh, it's yeah. a constant thing um and we haven't really yeah. seen it in the live action comics yet um yeah which yeah. I thought like you know yes that's a thing for for like detective noir series but it's also very right. much a comic thing and it it kind of blends really really well like that Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. Oh, and one thing I wanted to follow up on what Sarah said before I forget is that, like in the comics series, like you, we know that something awful happened to her in her past. But the big, but the first episodes of the comics. I mean, Stephen, tell me if I'm wrong from your notes, but like, mm-hmm. it's not all about her situation with the Purple Man, and in fact, I'm sorry, with Kilgrave. Oh, no. And in fact, yeah. Kilgrave stuff doesn't come up until much later. So in the comics, it's not like we're all centered in this thing. We're, we're dealing with her like life as it is right then. But also the thing with Kilgrave, and it took place a long time earlier in the comics, whereas in the show, the timeline is compressed, and what happened yeah. with her and him just finished happening, basically. Yeah, I mean, yeah. in the comics, they don't like mention year. his name for the yeah. first 23 issues. Um, Damn. So you get this, yeah, so like it's it's more like, you know, these kind of, not exactly like you know case of the week because they're they're more like you know five or four or five issue long arcs, but they're like about the case. You do get the sense in in you know really from the first issue that there is something strange about her behavior because she'll sort of do those more things you know that we were talking about and then have this really strange reaction the next day. And you get this, and it keeps recurring in various stories. And you get the sense, like, there's something she's not talking about. Mm. And, you know, there, there's even a bit um, uh, in issue 17, so before they, you know, several issues before they actually say what the story is, where someone who is psychic looks into her past and sort of goes, oh, my God, you've got a dark past. Um, but they don't really... Um, they don't really feel the need to spell it out. Right. So that's the choice that the show made, because the show made to have it be framed around. I, I, when I first heard that they cast Purple, sorry, Kill, it's called Purple Man in the comics, guys. When they first cast Kilgrave in the show, I was like, oh, fuck, it's just going to be all about that story. Um, I, you know, and then when they cast David Tennant, and of course I've barely seen him, but wow, is he amazing. When I cast David Tennant in it, I said, wow, he's going to do an awesome job. And then I said, oh, God, are people going to fan over over him? Because, like, people love David Tennant. And when you cast, like, a really charismatic – and, of course, Kilgrave has to be charismatic. That's at the core of the character. Yeah. But when you cast a charismatic right. person as a villain, it's really easy to have people end up not really recognizing the true terror and awfulness of that villain. Um I, I just want to quote really quickly something awesome that Jay Edidin wrote on on his Tumblr. He's he's the guy who does the uh, with with Miles um, the uh, explain the X Men podcast series. He said, "I'm sorry." They said, uh, 
on one hand, Jessica Jones is going to inspire a horrific volume of sympathetic slash sexy slash tragic slash eroticized Purple Man fan fiction. On the other mm-hmm. hand, it will probably also inspire at least one fairly solid story about Jessica and Trish and TV version Karen Page not kicking ass in a bar fight. And I, I'm here for the bar fight, guys. I'm here for the bar fight. <laughs> So. I mean, one should always be here for the bar fight. <laughs> yeah. The one thing I want to ask about the show, and it's something I had throughout it, like when so I was like maybe two episodes in, three episodes in, and I, I will admit I had it on at work because I have the ability of <laughs> screens to have TV going at the same time. Um, and people I can't sometimes, fathom. Yeah, so people were asking me, like, oh, what do you think of it? And the first thing that came out of my mouth is like, one, I'm shocked that there's not a trigger warning before the show. Um, mm. And the second is, it's very rapey. Um, yeah. So, I mean, what do you all think? I mean, so there's, there's, and rewatching the first episode, it kind of really stuck out at me, is, you know, obviously Jessica's got PTSD. She's very shaken up. It's led to her behavior. It's led to her drinking. Um, it's kind of led to her promiscuous behavior um, that she's lashing out. And then there's the, her talking to Trish, and there's this almost this aspect of people not believing her, which is a very mm-hmm. you know a, a very real aspect of people who have been traumatized and raped and and yeah. friends and everyone else not believing her. And I, you know, just in the first episode, like how do you think it actually handled that for a show? Like, is, are we talking? And and also kind of, I kept on going to like how Law and Order uh, SVU handles it, which sometimes like fetishizes. Oh, Exactly. Yeah. Um, and like, and I keep yeah. kind of thinking the two. Well, I just because that's the other show that kind of deals with a lot of these themes and you know events and stuff like that. And I just kind of kept yeah. on comparing the two in my head of like how one does and how the other does. Um, so well, what, what do you all was, think? Yeah. The thing that was interesting to me is that like most shows and certainly most comics and especially superhero comics use rape as a metaphor for something else or a plot device for something else. And instead, here we're getting mind control as a metaphor for rape. Mm-hmm. Right? So what's happening here is not necessarily sexual in a way that we would understand sexual assault, but it is experienced as that kind of a violation that most people would mm-hmm. associate that way. Um, yeah. And uh-huh. so... It's an interesting thing to deal with where you don't have to have this, like, incredibly eroticized portrayal of rape itself in order to talk about the trauma, which could be really interesting. It could get really problematic. I, you know, the jury remains out on that one for me, too. But I think, in general, most of the time when we are seeing rape in pop culture, it is either as a backstory plot, like, you know, every female, strong female character ever, or, you know, it's this mm-hmm. sexy drama thing that happens. Yeah, like from the comics, one of the things that we hear that Purple Man told her to do that I found to be most disturbing, and I think it's a great illustration of what you're talking about, Sarah, is that he told her, I'm going to get the details wrong, to like jump up and down for like a hundred times straight or like something like that and just have her do that. Yeah. And like right. that's such an illustration of like how much of a violation that is and the loss of autonomy, and like being made to perform, and like, but it's not, yeah. but it's not about sex, and like, I was. Well, I was and like, are we? I think that's a good example. Are we allowed to spoiler the end of this first episode at least? Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, talk about what happens. Right. 
Yeah, I'm assuming people. So we'll say that. Yeah, you know, we are going to spoil episode by episode. So uh, if if you guys don't want to, you might want to come back. (laughs) After you watch episode, so what? Right. So what happens to Hope? We assume is that she was having sex with him, but what we see is that she killed her parents on his command. Yeah. Supposedly. Right. You know, there's always room for some weird twist on that. I haven't watched the whole show yet that either, but like Hmm. that's the thing that we see, which is not eroticized at all. Right. It's horrifying and it's really, really horrifying and well done. Um, Oh God. And so, right. So I think that these are, are interesting choices that are like what we see and what we don't see is very interesting. Mm-hmm. And it, but she, wait, wait, when Hope looks at Jessica as the elevator yeah. door closes, I wanted to scream. Oh yeah. yeah, smile. Yeah, oh, smile thing. Oh my god, like yeah. And it just made me think about like how horrifying would it be if the average man on the street who tells you to smile actually had the ability to make you do it? Yeah. And that's just like ah. Because, like, I get, you know, well, I live, I don't live in New York City anymore, so I don't get told to smile a hundred times a day anymore. But, like, the good old days, <laughs> you know. And that actually comes up later again, too, in a way that I oh. think is, is good. Um, the smile command thing, which is, again, it's just such a thing that, like, most women who live or have ever spent any time in a city will understand why that's creepy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I guess for context, for people who, like, I don't know, or dudes, like, men have a tendency to go and tell women who are walking down the street to smile. Like, this is a thing that happens to women regularly. Uh, And it's really violating and fucked up. Uh, It's a very normal form of street harassment that happens. So the fact that when you have this flashback scene, I want to talk about this scene real quickly. When you have the flashback scene in the restaurant where she she sees, where Jessica sees herself on the, quote, date quote with... Um, yeah. Kilgrave uh, back when she was under his brain control um, and when, and he says to her you will like this food and she says I will like this food and he says now smile and she smiles and it's just like empty smile and it just is an exact like this is yeah. this is how those dudes like want that to play out in life like they want to say smile at us and then they want us to smile at them and like that's how they perceive the, that the world should work and the, the show yeah. totally nailed it in terms of just showing how fucked up that is this right. is thing that I thought was is amazing in the series as a whole, and you kind of get start getting a sense of it in the first episode of it almost taking on like these discussions that we're really having nowadays about misogyny and control of men and mm-hmm. things like Gamergate, and it just all it kept on resonating over and over in different ways throughout the series, and you kind of start seeing it in the first yeah. episode um, mm-hmm. where it's like laying the groundwork of like we are talking heavy topics and we're just we're going right away. Um, like, I, do you think it was actually, and, and the thing that I think is interesting is, like, the comic was written, let, let me see when it actually came out. I mean, it's 2001. 2001. Yeah. 2004, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's yeah. 14 years old, and, you know, these debates are kind of still raging. Um, I would say even worse now, now that it's kind of, like, out in the open with Gamergate and all that crap. Um... It, it just it kept on resonating on it. Like I'm I'm wondering how much the creators like thought about it of instead of just telling the story of being like, Oh, we're hitting topics that people are debating and discussing and arguing and being doxxed and harassed about like regularly today. Well, are we um, ever not talking about rape? <laughs> 
true. Well, um, uh, yeah, yeah, it's very true. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's so not like thoughts, it's going like, through phases of not happening. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, but I do think that we are having a moment where people are beginning to talk about it less horribly and maybe doing a better job in some ways about talking about it, or maybe I'm just reading better people. But <laughs> it, that's always hard. But it does. But it does feel sort of zeitgeisty in terms of like the show is talking about things right now that people want to be talking about that are hard things to talk about. Mm-hmm. And I do think that that will be, you know, a good credit to the fact that it's like, you know, lots of women who don't really read comics and not Marvel geeks are going to watch this show because it's going to, you know, talk about shit that matters to them. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so I just two quick thoughts. Um, one thing that sort of struck me was that a lot of the purple man's, um, dialogue, it's all verbs about desire. And that's the kind of part hmm. of what makes this version of mind control even more terrifying than, you know, what Professor Xavier could do, which is that it's focused on not just taking consent away from you in terms of making your body do things, but right. literally changing your desires. It's, it, it's hmm. indistinguishable from your own thoughts um, in the comics. Yeah. And that's terrifying. Yeah. And then the other thing that really sort of hit me in my lizard brain was in that scene <laughs> with, with um, Hope on the bed, the fact that she's um, she's pissed herself because she's been told mm-hmm. not to move. Not to move. And there's that lack of, of physical dignity that just, like, really hit me very hard. And I was like, ah, that's, that is quite terrifying that the level of control is that much that it's not just, you know, mm-hmm. you're going to do what I say in this moment, but you can't do anything else than obey me. Yeah. Right. And that you want to, right? So that even after mm. she's in the bed having pissed herself, Jessica's trying to get her out of there and she's screaming and fighting and clawing to stay in that bed. It's so hard to watch. It is so hard to yeah. watch. Right. That. Yeah. Um. I, I, I also thought it was interesting in that, you know, having that scene early or not, you know, early in the show, but towards the end of the first episode, I thought it was actually really important to show you the control that Kilgrave has over folks because it's, you know, it's something that we can all relate to. Like we've all been in bed and being like, oh, I got to go to the bathroom, but I don't want to get out. And it's like, that's, but it's, it's, like, you know, it's like one of those things that we all like have gone through and like we know and being like, man, I really got to go. Well, yeah. This is, couldn't, um, which I yeah. think like emphasizes of like how much of a hold he has Ooh. and what the hell is going on. It was just it was yeah, one of those I, things yeah. that was like mm-hmm. relatable but in a subtle way. And I also yeah. think your point is that it's good that they established right off the bat how powerful he is because it show it means that you're not looking at her and being like, well, well how come she couldn't stand up to him better? You know, yep. why didn't she fight back better? Because you see right off right. the bat how fucking powerful he is. So it helps make sure that the viewer isn't looking at Jessica like she's weak. Like, I don't think you can right. watch this and think Jessica's weak. You watch this and say, Jessica went up against some fucking terrible shit. Uh, and because you see how dangerous he is, you don't look down on her at all. You, you sympathize yeah. with her entirely. Um, well, and it's interesting because her superpower is strength, right? Physical strength. So you see her, like, lifting the car, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. What did you guys think mm-hmm. about how that was introduced? You're one of them because they can't say mutants. But she's actually not a mutant. She has powers from like a chemical. Well, yeah, shit. she's not a mutant. But nevertheless, <laughs> you're one of yeah, them. They, yeah, they talk around it a lot. It's like you're gifted. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was good. Uh, I, 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 
it, it was a great way of introducing powers without like spelling them out. Like they're, they're, the the show I think uh-huh. does really well, and we'll talk about it in future episodes of that origin without actually like going through the origin. Um, so like, showing it like origin story, man. So. Yeah, so showing it the way they Done did, I thought it. was like really solid, easy, quick, and you, and you get a clue what her what her powers are. Yeah, and I want to talk about little... nobody has laser eyes. I wanted to say like, well, nobody has laser <laughs> eyes in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but people yeah. do have laser eyes and in uh, <laughs> Fox. Actually, well, right, was that Fox's another another version of we can't say mutants? So fuck you. But <laughs> oh my god, but yeah, yeah. And there's also you know a lot of kind of nice subtle touches. Um, the the one I was thinking about is like she's in bed listening to her neighbors upstairs being just noisy and asshole-ish, and she chucks fighting, a boot. boot. Yeah, mm-hmm. she chucks a boot at the ceiling and hits the ceiling hard enough that, like, plaster is falling down on her bed. And I was like, that's a wonderfully subtle way of, like, this person has strength way above normal. Yeah, yeah. it's like her spastic use of her strength, like accidentally yanking the phone out of the wall, like, that's what, that would be me. I totally relate with that. I am like that, and I don't even have super strength. Um, yeah, I, I, I like they handled that. Well, let's talk about Luke Cage. Okay. Um, he's pretty. <laughs> oh yeah, and he so nails it. Like when they first cast him, like because I he is. This is important. Okay. No, when they first cast yeah. him, I was like, I was like, he doesn't look like the Luke Cage I had in my mind, but that's okay. And as soon as I saw him in the role on here, I was like, oh, my God, he is the Luke Cage from now on out. And last week on our podcast, we actually had the writer who's going to be writing the new Luke Cage Iron Fist comic on our show. And the new character designs for the new Luke Cage comic are definitely not, do not look like the actor who plays him on the show. And now, in retrospective, I feel kind of bad for the new Luke Cage comic. Is it going to be butting up against this fantastic characterization on the show that's really just going to be like, from now on, it's like, yep, that guy's Luke Cage. Nailed it. Yeah. Um, yeah. One thing I, I wanted to kind of uh, survey opinion about, because, you know, I, I was looking for similarities and differences, and this was a case where I thought it was, there was an interesting difference that I liked better, which is that, like, the the scene in which they have sex for the first time mm-hmm. in the books ends on this kind of really negative note. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it takes a long time for them to sort of get to a kind of, you know, uh, uh, modus vivendi. And here it was just, you know, there was nothing negative about it. It was just two people who wanted to fuck. It's negative, though, because she doesn't feel comfortable throwing up in his apartment. She only, she wants to, she sees a photo of a woman in his medicine cabinet, which incidentally she looks inside of, she she looks inside his medicine cabinet and doesn't need to because if she was looking for something for her stomach upset, he had Pepto on the sink. So she chose to look inside of his medicine cabinet because she really wanted to poke around, which is like a normal thing to do, but like whatever. And then when she sees the photo well, of another woman. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, she was I mean, also she's another taking photo. pictures of him through a window, right? Yep. Yeah. She, she's Before very young. She yeah. Right, so, and I mean, it's sort of like, yeah. I mean, but you, yeah, there's a real weird window thing sort of going on with her monitoring him. It's right. I don't know. I'm not quite sure. I guess I wouldn't say like. I, I really don't think I can say like. Was it like how she felt? She definitely shuts herself off afterwards. But I, I think it's a complicated reaction that she has to their hookup. And um, you know, I 
she saw the photo of this other woman in there. I don't know what she was thinking about it, and uh, she threw up in the street. I will just say, in the interest of not spoiling, that it sets up a whole lot. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. That that one little bit is is a lot of hay. Is that Misty Knight? Because the thing is, I, they cast Misty Knight, but they cast her after this This would have been done filming. Not so. telling you. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. okay. You have to watch actually, it all. Actually, speaking of her watching Luke, so this is something, and it, it you know resonates again later in episodes, but it kind of, it's again, set up here, is there is this, you know, obviously a very voyeuristic um, aspect of her job, and she's watching people. Uh-huh. And I always thought, that, I thought it was a really interesting dichotomy between what she does and what Kilgrave does in, in a weird way where he is watching over her. I mean, I know that kind of comes in later, but like they're uh-huh. setting it up her like of this really weird, you know, comparison of the two. Um, I mean, it, I, huh. am, am I reading too much into that? I mean, did anyone else kind of like feel that at all? Well, I mean, I think That's partly, like, being a PI is is a creepy job to have, right? It's, um, yeah. mm-hmm. like, I keep my, my thinking about Veronica that, so Mars. I, I... <laughs> yes. Well, I, yeah. I keep thinking about Veronica Mars while watching this, because, like, also Chris Kristen Ritter was on Veronica Mars. Um, and, you know, and how being a PI is actually really unhealthy for Veronica and also probably very unhealthy for Jessica Jones, that it, it indulges all of their worst instincts and all of their character flaws. Right. Mm. And like when she's in the bar with Luke and she talks about being a natural detective, does that mean she's a natural liar? Does that mean she's naturally good at, you know, peeping in people's windows? Like, you know, we know what she's actually naturally good at is lifting cars and and throwing boots at the ceiling. So (laughs) Uh-huh. You know, it's it's an interesting, right? The reason that so many noir detectives are terrible people is that it's not a terribly nice career path. The show Good also show, sets up like really unhealthy relationships. In the first episode, I can't think of one relationship that is mm-hmm. what I would even somehow define healthy. You've got um, the lawyer who's right. fairly cheating, cheating you on everybody. Ar- yeah, yeah. You got the people arguing in the apartment. Um, you've right. got, um, you know, she's talking about all the people she's looking at are, are cheating in her, in her right. thing. Like there's not one healthy relationship in the first episode. Like everyone's right. No. Did anybody else get the sense that Geraldine was kind of coming on to Jessica when she was like, I wish I could have been there to see it. Just me. Hmm. Okay. Hmm. Well, I'm, I mean, I maybe. I heard it that way, and I am actually. I kind of. I'm kind of like. I wonder what if there was something between them beforehand, but I don't know. Yeah. It was just sort of interesting to me. Um, I will say that after a, a brief look through uh, through uh, our, uh, an archive of our own, uh, it seems that the, the slash pairing of preference is her friend Trish Walker. <laughs> and there's the things 100... that you do for science. Stephen, thank you. Yeah, I know. Out of 167 picks, uh, only 17 with uh, Kilgraves. So there you go. Oh, well, that's good. I feel that's something. Right now. I feel, I feel yeah. better about the world right now. So <laughs> you, yeah, I feel exactly. better about the world right now. So, yeah, well, you know, Trish Walker. Um, but,
<laughs> yes. I love it. She's so good. I didn't even recognize yeah. her being her until I looked in the credits after, like, the first review. Oh, I was my like, God. Holy shit, I, I no. Really I, it, no, they have the hair color with was, her a lot. That's, like, her iconic haircut. Yeah. 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 I also was watching out on like a small screen, like I had it very minimized. Oh, so man. yeah, it was one where I like I got to the end, I was like, oh my god, it's Tyrion. Like totally just did not put two together. So mm. yeah, I felt I felt like a dumbass. Yeah, that. she's good. For, for <laughs> listeners who don't know, it's interesting. The role and the, the role of uh, the role she plays is actually one that in the in the comics was played by a man. So it was mm-hmm. definitely a choice on a choice on the part of the show to have the character be female instead. I think that's great, and you know, having more female characters. Uh, and the show is, like, wonderful, glad to have it. Um, but, yeah, so that's a good yeah. on a part of the show, I think. Everybody just, you think casting is real strong overall, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm, like, I, I'm I, not the biggest fan of Kristen Ritter, and, and be honest. Um, really? Yeah. I love yeah. her. What? I love her. I like her work. I threw in, in whatever the B, uh, the B in apartment, whatever it was. No, um, I thought she was hilarious. Apartment 23. Yeah, apartment 23. Loved that series, so like I love her. I just for some reason, and a second viewing, I'm liking her more. But the first time watching it through, like I just, I go into the she just was unlikable. Like there was something with the acting and off. Like I just wasn't. It well, wasn't like, quite. Well, the is unlikable, right? Yeah. The character's yeah. an asshole. Like she's a jerk. Yeah. She's a terrible person. Um, yep. She's you're not yeah, supposed to like her. She the girl's credit card to go to Hong Kong. I mean. To, I mean, right, she's not reason, a nice but, person. Like, not her money. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was, I, that was a nice Ritter, moment. Right? Yeah. I mean, Kristen Ritter, I feel like she spent one. Her voice in the voiceovers was, like, wonderful. I, I love her facial yeah. expressions and how animated she is. Um, I yeah. wasn't crazy about the fact that she was such a tiny individual, but I understand why they want to do it, even though I also suspect it's because Hollywood is scared of larger women. Um but uh, I thought, one of the things that's really defining about the way Jessica Jones is drawn in the comics is she has a very bulbous nose, which is not something which comics, like, ever do. Jessica on the show does not have a bulbous nose. She has a very, very pointy nose, but it's still very distinctive. It's, like, almost an iconic thing that could be, like, like just sort of drawn out. Like, you, you would know her profile. I think it's an interesting, an interesting part of her. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and I think you can tell that she beefed up for the role, right? She has thighs that look like a girl who works out. She has, when she, you know, is running around her apartment in a tank top, she looks like she has, you know, she has more arm muscle tone than I do. And I do, I won't tell you how many push-ups every day. <laughs> so, <laughs> but we're impressed. You know, she's, she does not look like a tiny little scrap of fluff, right? She looks like she could take you out and she's taller and physically more intimidating than most other people on screen most of the time. Um, she other than, of course, Luke Cage, who is though. a ball of whatever. I, yeah, I definitely got the vibe that she could kick my ass. Like, that was yeah, that was very apparent to me. Like, oh, I, she felt... Really cool yeah. Rever- yeah. yeah. A really she cool reversal, like actually, is in the first... In, the, in her voiceover, when you hear her talk narrating, like, the detective thing in the very beginning of the show... And the way it looks through the window of her door, for a second it looks like she's going to get pushed through the window of the door, but it's him. And it's like a yeah, reversal. Right. Like, it looks like he's about yeah. to push her, but then it's him. And right. it was such a great... And then after that, that the door has cardboard covering it that says fragile. And yeah. at first I was like, mm-hmm. well, cardboard says fragile a lot. But then I looked at the stack of recycling I have waiting to go out, and I noticed none of the cardboard in my apartment says fragile on it. So again, definitely a choice on the part of the show. Um, right. 
Yeah. I have it and it's interesting because, again, if we're talking about going back to sort of mind control powers versus somebody who is supposed to be very, very physically strong, like you're not worried for her when she's walking into physically dangerous situations, right? She carries it off uh-huh. like, and I remember reading this article, you know, the movie Mr. and Mrs. Smith with Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie, where uh-huh. they're yeah. a married couple of assassins who spend most of the movie trying to kill each other. Mm-hmm. And there was a comment in some article possibly interview with the director, I don't remember, where they were saying that in casting something like that, you have to really, you have to cast a woman that looks like she could believably kick the crap out of Brad Pitt. Otherwise, it just looks like domestic abuse. Mm. And I think that's really uh-huh. important here, too, is that, like, if especially if you're going to deal with a lot of these themes, you have to deal with them in a way that, like, you know, you have some other you have some portrayal of her strength and her ability to get out of it. And it's not just going to be, you know, 13 episodes of her getting the crap kicked out of her, which ironically mm-hmm. is what Daredevil is. <laughs> so. Yeah. But it's him. So it's okay. Yeah. I'm here for him getting the crap kicked out of him. Actually, I wasn't here for it because I got bored with it. it. But, you know. I know you weren't. <laughs> but if it, yeah. I, was, I was bored. Yeah. Eventually it got old. What's well, an interesting thing? Like, you know, obviously in the first episode they set up right away of her kicking everyone else's ass. In Daredevil, right? It's the opposite. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that's it's. I really hate even think about it um, until you brought mm-hmm. it up. But yeah, no, that's actually a, a great point. Do you guys want to talk about New York for a little bit? Um, yes. Cause sure. Because you're qualified to. Uh, so I, I, it's interesting. Okay, so this show is set in Hell's Kitchen as well. Um, she sort of right. has like a live. Oh, she like lives in her office. It's probably, but I think it's kind of unclear to me in some ways. Um, but the New York that they're shooting like looks like New York Soho House is Soho House and awful as it is in the real life. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm just glad to see so much of the show shot around the city, unbelievably so. Uh, but I was mm-hmm. a little bit confused about whether or not she was like her house was her apartment, her office was her apartment, or what exactly. Oh, yes. It 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 definitely is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I I love the little excursion to NYU, uh, especially with that <laughs> annoying NYU movie student. That felt very. Uh, yeah. Felt very real. <laughs> I love the bit with the restaurants, where they had the fat the whole thing that oh, the restaurant yeah. had changed, and then yes. still wanted the the food from the previous restaurant. That was like very very, um, perfectly New York to me. And that right, was the most yeah, the, the old Italian the whole, restaurant. The whole thing. Yeah, the most special effects thing in the whole show was them showing the transition where as the, as the major D is telling her what happened with Kilgrave, it, the setting switches to what this place was before when it was the Italian mm-hmm. restaurant. Like, that's yeah. what they spent the effects budget on in the first episode, which I think was a good choice. <laughs> I've also been to um, that restaurant. I swear to you, I have been in that uh, restaurant on Elizabeth Street. Was it Italian or was it Asian fusion? <laughs> it was it was Asian fusion, and uh-huh. I've been in that restaurant. So right. any New York observations, Sarah? Hmm. Oh, Sarah, I'm saying, do you have any New York uh, feelings about it? Um, it's not in the first episode, but at some point she buys bourbon in a bodega, and that is not legal. Yes, that is true. <laughs> <laughs> and I was. But what if we could? That. What if we could? Uh, the world would be a better place if we could. Um, I had a New York question. 
Mm-hmm. Which is, where do you think Trish lives when we see her apartment? Soho. But I've only seen the first uh. episode. I'm just pulling that out of my ass. Soho's right back Yeah, she okay. climbs up onto know. the balcony, right? But do we yeah. really see and how I, high up? It looks like it's not super high up. There are buildings that have external yeah. balconies that are fancy new buildings in that part of town, and she's definitely in Manhattan. So that's what I piece together for her. Which, if yeah, you're thinking, you know, a big show is a realistic place. Sure. I'm sorry, you were thinking? No, I mean, I maybe. I was maybe Upper East Side, so. but, but Soho works better for her character. We're, by the way, one thing that I thought was interesting was I loved the the um, the bus ads and other things for Trish yes. Talk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Like her issues with her friend are constantly hovering in front of her. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, in fact, in the voiceover when she's saying that she usually keeps, she says, people do bad shit, I just avoid getting involved with them in the first place. Right. And a bus yeah. goes by with Trisha's head on it, like, right when she says yeah. that. Like, to say, like, yeah, you say that now, but. Right. Uh-oh. I, I like that, you know, it, some of the, uh, it's definitely, like, incidental people were not white people, but, like, it's still, like, a lot of white people. But, like, well, Luke yeah. Cage. And her roommate, like. Well, and, and the, the weird... main love interest. Yeah, yeah, sorry, but I guess that, well, that, I was that has, he say, had to be, that's in the story. <laughs> there's the and drug the neighbor. neighbor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I was a little bit oh, like, yeah, okay, so the only other black dude in the cast is a junkie? That's kind of fucked up. But he gets yeah. more interesting. Yeah, he does. Oh, cool. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. And I think he's replacing yeah. the, the character who in the comic was this, like, nerdy white dude, so there's an improvement. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. Sounds good. So here's a, a thing, too, is that, like, one of the reasons that it's really hard to not spoil these shows is, like, the Netflix shows are, are you know, obviously dumped all out for, you know, all at once so that you can do what Brett did and watch it all in, in one thing. But that also no, makes them... But it it does change the nature of the show, right? So, like, mm-hmm. even a detective series like this one, like, on, on, you know, on regular TV, it would be much more of a police procedural, and there would probably be one case every show that she was solving mm. while there was also a, you know, a season-wide arc. And that doesn't happen as much here, in part, I think, because Netflix is aware that we're, we don't have to watch it like TV. We're not going to probably watch it once a week. And that there's too many procedurals anyway. Good God, make it stop. Well, that, yeah. that's <laughs> true, but, you know. Yeah, it's, yeah, that's, it's, yeah, inter- it's a really interesting point, um, and it's not something I, I've thought about. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's a show that really doesn't, like, it, it's not nice and compact per episode. Like, there's some episodes in, in right. Daredevil where you could just watch that one episode and you would have been totally fine. Um, like, you might have missed something. but. Like, the first yeah. episode, like, I looked at my clock to see how long it was. I mean, they really picked in a great deal of story into a short amount of space, quite impressively, in episode one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I, you know, I wonder, as we see more of these, you know, sort of straight to Netflix, or now Amazon.com is getting into it, um, as we see more of these, are they going to experiment with length? Is an hour really the optimal time for a TV show? Should they be shorter? Should hmm. they be longer? How, you know... Because right now they're still basically making a series of a season of TV, right? They just dump it all to you at once and sort of expect you to binge watch yeah. it, and that's affecting in some degree the shape of the the episodes and the shape of the season. 
But I wonder how much more that's going to change um, as we see more and more of these, you know, straight to Netflix kinds of things. An interesting point. I, I remember reading an article that was complaining about that, that I forget what show it was, um, but basically sort of saying that it it leads showrunners to, like, drip feed the plot a lot. And I wasn't feeling that here. Mm. There, there was definitely episodes. No, here there was like. I felt it. Okay. Yeah, there were, there were yeah. a couple episodes where I was like, you could have, like, compacted, you know, instead of being an hour, you could have made it an hour 20 and and done two episodes at an hour 20 and, like, cut things down. Um, I, I did feel it a little bit in future episodes, and we'll, we'll talk to it about it when we get to it. But yeah, it's a really interesting point. Like, does it actually have to be an hour? Right. Haven't thought of that. <laughs> I mean, when you watch a cartoon like Adventure Time, you know, you see, like, how much narrative you can fit into, a like, a 12-minute piece. It's just shocking. But it also has a completely different pace. I don't think you could do a noir show in, I mean, I don't know, maybe a noir show should be an hour and a half. I don't know. A noir show should not be 12 minutes. However, Adventure Time yeah. should totally be 12 minutes. <laughs> I probably the only person who ever mentioned Adventure Time in context of Jessica Jones. I apologize. Um, <laughs> so the first episode is actually 52, about 53 minutes. Taking out the, the credits, it's a little bit less than that. So compare right. that to, like, the normal show that's, what, like, 35 to 40 minutes with ads? Right. So it's a minutes, little, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. A little Except bit longer. Except for HBO shows, which are also about 50-something yeah. minutes. 55. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. which is clearly the, the model that things like this are taking. It's much more mm-hmm. the, you know, the HBO, Prestige TV, whatever, whatever, whatever. But, like, I don't know. It's still an interesting question of, like, okay, what, you know, if you can have theoretically as much or as little time as you want what how should that be broken up and does it have to be in anyway that's not really particularly about the show i just think it's an interesting question when we're watching talking about web tv yeah well Mm -hmm. i actually would wonder if there's like some study somewhere that says this is like the optimal time for television um for humans paying attention to something on wealth yeah you know someone's done that somewhere so i I wonder about that it's (laughs) really fascinating Netflix, I bet you, has done the study of when people drop off. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure they've done well, absolutely. Right. Well, what about the... So this is, like, also the first Marvel show, and I, I can't think of other ones that we've really seen it, where, like, sex plays a lot into it. Um, mm-hmm. like they, Yeah, there was not enough sex in Daredevil. Yeah, there really wasn't. And I just <laughs> think of, critical analysis of Daredevil was inadequate sex. There wasn't. No, it was inadequate sex in Daredevil. Daredevil. Well, Maybe I would have watched it for longer. Like, <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just wrong. It's like you have Maybe I would have kept Dawson, watching. Like you should probably have more sex in your show. Yeah. There was just Netflix. not enough Rosario Dawson in Daredevil. Let's be real. Uh, hell that's yeah. true yeah. in general. So <laughs> Life, there's that's not enough of her, but it's a whole other thing. Um Yes, but it, but like sex really plays a lot of in as far as the plot of the of the episode and the show as a whole. Um, we haven't really seen it. Like I really felt like this was Marvel finally getting out there and being like, no, we can do adult. We can do like dark superhero, but no, we mm-hmm. can do adult too. Um, mm-hmm. More so than even Daredevil, which kind of leaned more towards adult. 
Yeah. Well, and I think the interesting thing in, in this episode, right, is that they use the sex scene to foreshadow their superpowers. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So he's yeah. like, she's like, I won't break. And he's like, yes, you will. Um, right. Yeah. I was, and curious, that, I was wondering how she would respond to him saying that. Because if a normal man says that to her, like I, if I were her in the middle of that hookup and I would have, I would have, I would have been insulted actually, even knowing that like under normal circumstances, somebody that much larger than you would say, certainly say that and feel that, you know what I mean? But it's sort of like, but I mean, obviously this happens to her like all the time in a lot of ways since she spends her life having superpowers yeah. and but probably has not, that at least not that we know if we like have like a long litany of like exes who are superheroes themselves. Um, but that was, that was interesting to me. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the reasons which, you know, that actually, you know what, I don't want to spoil something for folks who haven't read the comics, so whatever. But, like, but yeah, like, the combination of the two of them hooking up, like, given the powers, and it's just, I, it's interesting. And uh, I, I was a little bit wondering how she was going to respond to him saying that to her during the hookup. And then another Woody. piece is that that hookup, when that happens in the comics, it's very clear that they're having anal sex in the comics, yes. which, which is interesting right. because, like, the, the, the work it takes for a comic to make it clear that something is anal sex and yet have the comic not really be explicit. Like, that's some good <laughs> comic art, people, from Michael Gatos. Like, that you're able to communicate, like, from the angle on which the bodies are existing. And that I trust the artist enough that he knows what he's doing, that, that that is the choice that he, you know, that's going on from the story. And it's not just sort of like a standard, I don't know anatomy, I'm Rob Liefeld, like, kind of a moment. <laughs> um, is, so I was wondering if in the show, if, if, if that would be implied or not. It's not implied at all in the show. It's not. Um, and I think well, that she makes does sense, it would be, pull off and turn know. over. Yeah, but yeah. that's right. So, she, I mean, that doesn't... Well, doesn't, sure, but I mean... Rap- she doesn't pull well, off I didn't know what it was supposed to be, right? <laughs> okay. Like, ah, I don't... Okay. Interesting. You didn't yeah, read the comic. So, you know, yeah. so I don't know if that was supposed to be a nod to that. Also, this whole, you know, watching this show just made, you know, my partner and I make a lot of jokes about, like, the awkwardness of cinematic sex in general because there's a, a later scene involving a uh, male-on-female oral sex that is just like, that is definitely not where that body part is. <laughs> under a sheet. And you're just like, that's, that's not, no. He's licking her belly button. Yeah, I thought about that in that scene, too. Well, yeah, I think so, that was Okay, thank you. I'm not the only one. No, no, no. It was interesting in that, you know, leading up to the show, like, I had read the comics, and, like, the comics, that the fact that they showed anal or implied anal sex in a comics was, like, really groundbreaking and huge yeah. um, at that yeah. time. And a lot of people were like, well, can they do it on the show? And then, like, some, you know, there were some previews at conventions and stuff like that, and people came out of it, and they're like, they totally had the anal sex scene. And I'm and like, they did no, not. they I don't didn't. Think so. No. Which makes me really no. wonder about the stereotypes of nerds well, and not like knowing well, these things. But they thought, oh, God, that's terrible. And <laughs> you are correct, and that is terrible. But like, I think my feeling with it is yeah. that if they had decided that route, it would have been distracting. So it would have been our conversation would be about like them having had had anal sex and not just about the show in general. So I think it's fine that they didn't do that. It's not I a guess. problem at all. Yeah. We're still talking about it though. Well, the yeah, that's the true, but that's only because we read the that's only because we read the comics. But Sarah, you hadn't read the comics, so you you weren't watching that and thinking, "Are they having anal sex?" You were just like, "They're having sex." No, I was right? mostly thinking that, like, "Oh, he, now he's trying to be all sweet," and she's like, "Oh, I don't want to look at your face." <laughs> See, that, 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 that is exactly what I read it as. 
and I was about to bring that <laughs> That's up. how that They were looking at each hey. other's eyes intently, and she's like, I do not want to be looking into your eyes intently right now. And she rolls over yeah. because she does not want him gazing into her face. That's why she rolls yeah. over. Right, and that's, you know, but it's but it, knowing that that's a scene in the comic, maybe that was also meant to be an acknowledgement of this thing without, you know, necessarily having it freak out the, I don't know, Net, Netflix executives or whoever might be, have feelings about yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, so, they were definitely pulling from the, you know, the visual language of that scene in the comics. Like, there's the shot of his back that's virtually identical. Yeah. Um but I, I, you know, I actually kind of like the way that they did it because, in the comic, it's seen as—I mean, violation is a little bit too strong of a word—but like, she's saying he took advantage of her and by asking this thing, and I was a little bit worried. It's like, are we going to go really into like sex shamey anal sex is, you know, inherently degrading, yeah, and if you're into that, that's a bad thing. In the comic, it's complicated. Like, yeah, the way the thing is played out in the comic is really complicated, and it does not, mm-hmm. and, and, and is fine. And it's the kind of thing where I'm like, wow, I'm really impressed at how you didn't fuck this up. Congratulations. Because it is very complex, the way it's dealt with in the, in the comic, I think. And it would have been really hard to sort of navigate it on the show in that way. Like, yeah. in the comic, it's very much stemming from, she wants to go, and ha- she's, like, in a state in the comic where she wants to go and have really intense sex where she's going to feel something and... Like, she has superpowers, and, like, it's complicated for her to, like, try to, like, it, it comes out of a desire for an intense sensation. I, like, whatever. I, God, people should read the comics, but you don't have to read the comics. That's, that's what I'll say about the show. You don't yeah, need to read the comics to enjoy the show. You really don't. Like, but they're great, and you should read them because they're great. But you don't need to feel like you have to read the comics to enjoy the show. Yeah, well, that's the thing is, like, that, that scene in the comic, I feel, is kind of done in other ways on the show. Like, in the comic, it's very much, mm. she wants to feel pain, she wants to, it, it's it's done of uh, trying to show more of her, like, issues, pain, and, and her, you know, how she wants to feel things and just feel pain. Um, yeah. And in the show, I think they kind of do it in other ways with a lot of the drinking and kind of the fighting and just her narrative that she talks about. So they almost didn't need to mm-hmm. go to that extent. Um, yeah. But I, I, you know, I just think it's interesting that like, I, just again, that tons of people came away with me like, they totally had the scene. And I'm like, eh, not really, mm-hmm. but okay. I mean, um, they have the scene and that they had them have sex. That, 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 that yeah. is something that happened. Yep. Um, oh, yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Steve, I know you had a whole bunch of notes. Is there other stuff that like you wanted to discuss that we haven't hit yet? Um, so, I mean, I guess one thing to talk about, I mean, partly I'm, I'm having issues with having seen more than one episode now, uh, but I do want to talk about like the, the whole extended universe thing. Uh, mm-hmm. And like, to what extent they're doing that with the show and with, like, you know, the movies or with the show and other Netflix shows. Like, one of the things I was kind of surprised about is, like, okay, I didn't necessarily expect them to say, like, you know, the Avengers or anything like that. But, you know, not having a mention of, like, the Kingpin or, you know, Murdoch and Nelson. Right. Like, hmm, what are they trying to, you know, what's the pace at which they're trying to build? Because we know they're building towards a, a Defenders series. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm a little bit curious about sort of they seem to be really I mean I'm still in the third episode but they seem to be really really slow rolling that at all. 
It is. This, I will say, out of everything they've done, this is the one series that um, ties in the least with the big picture um, and can really be watched by itself without knowing anything else. I think the interesting was the lack of mentioning of anything that happened in Daredevil. And Hell's Kitchen. Um, mm-hmm. And Hell's Kitchen, or the attack on yeah. New York in um, in the first Avengers. And where that was a very kind of an ongoing thing in Daredevil. Like, in future episodes, there's jokes mm-hmm. about it, and there's, like, slight comments. But there's not, at least, there's not, there I think, to the were level. eventually. Yeah. yeah and yeah. Okay. Well, again, I... It's hard to talk about just one episode when you've watched half the series. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that I assume that the reason why she doesn't talk about Murdoch and, and Kingpin is because it's this is concurrent to that, and like you wouldn't really oh. know. That had been my assumption is that this was all happening when he is was it? having his stuff happening. I'm biting my tongue. Oh. Well, okay. Well, then I that's guess that's interesting not. because um, so Bendis and. Um, I'm forgetting the artist's name. Uh, Gatos, Michael Gatos. Uh, Gatos. They came back to do a Jessica Jones number one, mm-hmm. which is like an issue zero to this. Yeah, digitally for people who want to check it out. Oh, shit. Yeah. Oh, I assume that was a re-release of the old comic. I didn't know this Mm-mm. was a new thing. No. I will go um, read it. And like, there, like, she is clearly, like, she knows about rumors of the devils of hell, the devil of hell's kitchen. Hmm. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like, you know, I, I, re- I read the comic before I saw the episode, so maybe that was, uh, like, created kind of a false uh, impression for me. But I was kind of expecting, like, you know, that they would be talking about, like, yeah, you know, like, our neighborhood got blown to shit, you know, a couple of weeks ago or a couple of months ago. Yeah, there yeah. are a lot of old buildings in Hell's Kitchen for a neighborhood that is apparently under disaster capitalism. Like, more buildings that are old survived than you would have thought. Or at least have her walk by and you see like the the uh, fallout or some wreckage of one of the buildings that blew up. Like that's all you really need mm-hmm. to do to tie it in. But yeah, it, throughout the series, I mean, there's there's comments, but there's and and really until the end, there's not really much of a tie-in at all. Um, and even the tie-in is pretty pretty uh, subtle. Yeah, that's about as far as I'm going to go with it. Um, but it's the series as a whole stands very much on itself. But yeah, and it's. Even with her, like, using her powers in the first episode, it's really kind of like a done... You can tell she doesn't... She's not cool with it. Like, she uses it, and she does it, and it's something she has, but it's not really something she cares about. Whereas, like, Daredevil, I got the vibe of, like, no, he really... You know, he can do all these amazing things and wants to take advantage of it and use it for good. Like, she's the exact opposite of, like, hey, I can lift a car, and I, I just don't really care. Like, it's just something I can do to make money. Yeah. Which is something new, right? Like, we haven't really seen it in the movies or Daredevil or anything like that, where that person has an ability and just doesn't give a shit. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the other thing that's interesting is that, like, it's implied, at least in this episode, that she briefly attempted to serve as a superhero of sorts. But, like, who who was a superhero that she might have even gotten the idea from at that point? You know what I mean? Mm. Like... Yeah, I guess you know there were people like Tony Stark and all that doing things that were public prior to this, so I suppose it could be from that. Well, but also, I mean, this being the the MCU, like you know, Captain America was a real thing back in the day. Mm. So yeah, know, there there would have been a cultural zeitgeist that like 
we have had costume heroes at one point. That's a thing people do. <laughs> okay. A weird thing people do. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But anyway, um, it's interesting to me that, like, the the shows that have female leads are the ones that seem to be most concerned with standing alone. Um, mm. I mean, I'm, mm. I'm, I mean, I guess, you know, Agent Carter doesn't really stand alone, but yeah, that's a she's dog. Um, but it's, you know, the only thing that's happening in this other timeline that we have now, you know, that Captain America has now left. And this is clearly angling to, you know, perhaps attract a different viewership than just the people who are MCU completists. Yeah. What? Or even I definitely I would imagine. Going beyond Marvel, like even Supergirl to itself is on its own uh, in many ways and not tied into like the oh, other yeah. shows like Arrow or Flash, which could have easily. So it's kind of interesting to bring that up is that why is it the female shows that are the ones that can't, you know, really be tied into stuff? On the other hand, though, like as a person who is only ever vaguely that interested in massive amounts of Marvel continuity, it's much easier to start them. And when there are fewer women who are the audience, the presumed audience and the actual purchasing audience for these comics in the first place, like we need a place to start. There are so many comics that I don't buy, can't buy, even though they're by people that I love, in some cases, people that I'm friends with. Because I won't have a clue what's going on unless I buy 12 other Marvel books, and I'm not going to do that. I neither make the money nor have the interest. And so, you know, when you make everything such a crossover, you limit how many people can just pick up something new. Uh And so, you know, it's nice to have the Easter eggs for people who are nerds. And, like, while I'm not reading all the comics, I have watched all of the things, um, even the terrible first Thor movie. And the really terrible second Iron Man movie. Um, But it's very, very hard to start a new series, especially when you're, you know, going for a female lead character that is tackling, as we were saying, themes that are very um, current, we should say, and try to bring in a new audience and then have everything be, you know, something that you have to know about because you have to have seen two Avengers movies Uh and three Thor movies and and however many other things that you are required to have seen, or for me, you know, having had to care enough to watch the end of the Daredevil season. (laughs) Right. Right. So I'm here for not everything needs to be a crossover. Here, here on that. We've we've talked about that before on like other episodes where I kind of was like, isn't there a part point when Marvel's going to run into the problem that too much, too many things are, are you know interconnected and crossover, and maybe this is the first step to like move away from that a little bit, so they don't run into that problem. Yeah. Right. That's a fair point. I mean, this yeah, is one of the reasons that I don't read that many comics. Mm. But yeah, like at some point, Marvel's going to have to recognize that like we couldn't even watch all of the output if we tried because the sheer quantity <laughs> of output is like such. Yes. You know. That is also true. And then I wouldn't have time for Miss Fisher. <laughs> hmm. Anyway. So, um, yeah, I mean, joining us, you guys, uh, do you have anything else you wanted to make sure that we hit up on this episode? 
Um, there was one interesting. I mean, I'm not sure how much I believe necessarily the timeline works on this, but um, I did read that there was an interesting parallel between uh, Hope's case and this real world case of a University of Pennsylvania athlete who uh, committed suicide. Hmm. Um, and it was sort of that story it's on uh, ESPN is all about sort of the gap between our, our real lives and our, our social media lives. Um, and I just thought that was kind of an interesting, uh, I mean, the story came out in May, 2015. So I'm not exactly sure that it was, it was kicking around when they were doing this, but I don't know. Interesting. Yeah, I hadn't seen that. Uh, news to me. I'm I'm actually about to Google it to figure it out. Um, to see yeah, it's there. called the story's called Split Image by Kate Fagan. Hmm. Well, it's actually really interesting is that ESPN and Marvel are sister companies, so I don't. I'd, it'd be really <laughs> interesting to to see if there was any if one you know has anything to do with the other. I I don't know. It's actually the first time I even heard about the story. Well, it's certainly like a real question that people have discussed, you know, like when social media requires a certain amount of public performance. Who who are you putting yeah, out there I, versus like how do you feel? Yeah, I, I don't know if I'd want to make a link between social media and mind control. Yeah, I think it's, yeah. it's more it's the, the, the sort of the figure of the – like young athlete, college student with, you know, a perfect life, all of a sudden something goes completely, you know, off kilter that is similar. I feel like that's a story that I've seen in, like, TV procedurals, though. Like, that's a trope in and of itself, really. Yeah. Like, we thought we knew her so well, but then, you know. Right. Yeah. When it goes to that, do you think there was any, like, any thought of that of the NYU student who was like filming his life? Like that was kind of part, little bit of commentary towards that. I think that I was just somebody's best dig at what an NYU student might be doing right now. I yeah, think that was just sort of like a. This is shit that the kids probably do. Film students. You you've uh, you've destroyed my art. It's a mercy killing. Yeah, that's a good line. Yeah, that was good. I will say the dialogue is pretty sharp on this show. I was mm-hmm. I was digging it. Me too. I, yeah, I'm trying to think if I had any... I mean, in terms of the craftsmanship of the show, I don't really have any criticisms like about that kind of stuff. I, You know, th- this version of Patsy Walker is not the Patsy Walker from the comics at all. So yeah. I just have to repeat to myself, like, this is not the Patsy Walker from the comics. There's, yeah, there's nothing wrong with her. She's just... Definitely not Patsy Walker from the comics. Um, and, you know, the choice to have it be Patsy Walker is that they couldn't use uh, Jessica Drew, because Jessica Drew is apparently, her IP is with Team Spider-Man stuff at that not point. Not true. It, no? Not totally true. No, I actually read Oh, I mean, she was an Avenger, though, but... Sort of, yeah. Like, uh, Jessica Drew as Spider-Woman is, but Jessica Drew as a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent isn't. 
um, if you actually read the split that leaked between Sony and all that, there was a thing that came out oh. that Carol, Carol Danvers was supposed to originally be in it and wound up getting cut uh, cut from the show. Yeah, well, I mean, she's she is the, the best friend character in the comic. And yeah. I was like, well, given yeah. that they're, you know, going to do a Captain Marvel movie, you know, I can see why they'd need to change that. Yeah, because they don't want to have to cast that role for a movie that they're not going to make for a thousand billion years because they're too busy being sexist. So they, they couldn't cast just because you well, have to have the them. They thing, couldn't like, cast someone for it to be in this. Talking about these characters and these standalone things with female leads that are these very minor characters, right? We got Agent Carter, who would like, I, I love Agent Carter. I think the Agent Carter show was oh, great. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. but like, who the heck is Agent Carter, right? Jessica Jones, I'm like, who is Jessica Jones? You know, when there are how many Marvel superheroines? I mean, a lot of them are in the X-Men, but still, like, come on, guys. It just Where's seems like... Show? You could have done this with She-Hulk. Oh, yeah, I, right? She-Hulk, single female lawyer. She-Hulk, yep. single female Excellent. lawyer woman. Who is it would be so good. Everyone mm-hmm. would watch it. So it would be printing money. I don't even like it. It would be so good. Like, at all. And I, well, I just happen to really like She-Hulk. I would totally be yeah. all about that. Yes. Yeah, right. well, you know, it's, hopefully so once it's the they've question. got, you know, Daredevil and uh, Hogarth and I forget the, the rest of the names on the door in this, we've got enough <laughs> law firms that we could actually do, like, a full legal show. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, it was, it, was, no, it, was, it was Hogarth, something Jewish, something Asian. It was like, that was that was the construction yeah. of the... Yes. Um, and having, I mean, and that's, an, I, I, I think that that's the name of the law firm in the, in the comic. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not exactly sure. Hogarth, something Jewish and something Asian is the name of the law <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you can have MCU <laughs> Legal, the show. Yeah. Have anyway. them go up against the intergalactic holding firm of Landau, Luckman, and Lake, and Deadpool can make appearances. I mean, he can't, <laughs> but he could. Well... Who knows? I'm trying to think what are the, what are the other fact, fictional law firms and companies are of the Marvel Universe. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us. This has been a lot of fun. And, you know, I just want to make sure folks know, like, we're going to continue doing this series, one podcast per episode. Uh, so there's 12 more to come. Yes. Yes, there is. Um, you know, before <laughs> we completely Don't wrap up. Don't watch the whole series 12 more times, Brett. I'm going to be watching each episode at least one more time. <laughs> my, my wife hasn't watched it, so I'm watching it with her one show at a, episode at a time, and she can she can help deal oh. with my trauma. Um. Yeah, Frank is not amused that I have not binge watched it yet. He's like, well, how come we can't watch all of it all of it right now? Um, <laughs> for you two, um, Sarah, we can start with you. Uh, you know, we all we like giving our guests opportunity to kind of like pitch themselves if people. Or where they could follow them online and stuff like that. So, um, if you'd like oh, to, God, to do I... that, <laughs> no pressure. Um, I'm on Twitter, although I don't use it very much lately. It's Sarah L Jaffe, um, and yeah, although currently my Twitter basically has an away message, which is I'm finishing a book and I shouldn't be on here and yell at me if I am. <laughs> <laughs> and and That's when true. The, are you able to say like when the the book is tentatively coming out? The, or the book wanna... will be out next. August, um, unless something crazy happens. Cool. All right. Excellent. Cool. And Steve, you're up next for time to pick. Okay. 
Um, so I write Race for the Iron Throne, which you can find at raceforthearnthrone.wordpress.com, uh, or you can find me on Twitter at uh, Stephen Atwell. Excellent. Uh, nice and simple. Uh, well, thank you two for for joining us. We really, really appreciate it. It was actually a lot of fun. Thank you. Great. Um, so let's wrap this up. Um, so for those who have enjoyed uh, this show, we're going to have our second episode on the thirtieth, I believe, with another mm-hmm. guest. The thirtieth. Yes. It's going to be Alyssa Rosenberg from the Washington Post, their TV critic, and someone who I work I really respect, and I've been really excited to get her on the show for some time. So. Yeah, it's it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and then for those who normally listen to our uh, Graphic Policy Radio, we are going to be back on the air tomorrow night with uh, guest Marjorie Liu, who is the amazing writer uh, behind so many things, but her latest series, uh, Monstrous, came out from Image Comics, like three weeks ago, two weeks ago, somewhere around there, um, and sold out, and uh, absolutely fantastic. It's going to be a lot of fun. She is a fascinating and, and talented uh, comic writer, among other things. So uh, that's going to be a lot of fun, and uh, we will have her on tomorrow at 10 p.m., um, so you can check that out there. Um, and then for those who came in late or want to listen to this again, you can catch uh, Jonesing for Jessica. It's going will be on iTunes and will be on Stitcher a little bit after the show uh, wraps up, and then I will get it up on SoundCloud tomorrow uh, at some point if you'd like to listen there, so you can re-listen and, and catch all the discussion. Um, but thanks for listening. We always appreciate it. You can catch us every single day at graphicpolicy.com. Uh, we're, of course, on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, all at Graphic Policy. We keep it nice and consistent. Until next time, thanks for listening. I'm Brett. I'm Ilana. And keep it geeky. <laughs>